Chorsey Eisen for like <laughs> dog. And a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam Maguire Cup to Graham County, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. Another week... Another two West Cork Olympians confirmed. Skibbery and Rowan Club has another two athletes. Tokyo bound after Emily Hegarty helped the Irish women's four qualify for this summer's games. And AFA down woman Aoife Casey produced the goods alongside Margaret Kremen in the lightweight women's double at the 2021 World Rowing Final Olympic Qualification Regatta in Lucerne on Sunday. On this week's podcast, we'll be joined by both Emily and Aoife to reflect on another remarkable few days for Irish and Skibbereen Rowan. But before we bask in that glorious good news, we're going to quickly chat about the return of the National Football League last weekend and Cork's loss to Kildare. Kieran, you were in Thurless, so before we talk about the game, how was it to be back covering a live sporting event? I'm one of the lucky ones, Jack. It's uh, to be actually back at a live game, but hopefully... Um, listeners of this podcast and readers of the star will be back before long in the summer get back to watching games so it was surreal in a way because I haven't covered a game since last year's Munster football final and that was a bad day at the office for the Cork footballers against Tip and Parky Cueven unfortunately this is another bad day at the office for the Cork footballers this time up in Turles uh, the trip the trip up to Simple Stadium on Saturday, there was thunderstorms like it was really heavy on the motorway for, for a certain bit and it's kind of act weather in a way because the dark clouds are already gathering over the Cork footballers, even though it's just the first game of the season. But with that second half performance, there was very little to hang any bit of hope off, Jack. Uh, Kieran, before before we get into that second half and um, the kind of poor performance elements of it, let's at least try to accentuate the positives first and foremost. And there aren't many, so we'll breeze through this and then we can talk in more detail about the negatives. And in your report from the game, you actually mentioned that Cork started well. So let's focus on that for now. What did they do well in the opening quarter to give you some sense that it was going to come together? They moved the ball well in attack. They moved it faster, getting the ball into Brian Hurley and Cotton Mahoney inside. And those two had the beatings of their marker. Matty Taylor up the left-hand side, and the wing back, he was given a good attack and outlet. And Cork just seemed to have an attacking system. They were fluid, they were slick in that opening quarter. And at one stage, they led four points to one. And you're thinking, oh God, this is, a, this is looking good for Cork. But as soon as Kildare started to figure it out and they dropped bodies back and they blocked up the middle, Cork almost reverted the type. They just couldn't find a way through the, 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 the Kildare um, defence. What happened too was Cork missed a number of chances as well. There was a couple of scoreable frees by Hurley and Kahlamani that went wide. A few shots dropped into the goalkeeper's hands as well. I remember one by Matty Taylor just dropped right in. So instead of being four points on the board early on, Cork could easily have had six or seven and they could have had a bigger lead over Kildare than they did because after the first water break, 
Kildare really settled in then. And Daniel Flynn was pulling the strings for them before he went off for the hamstring injury. And by half time, Kildare were leading seven points to six. And I was sitting there at half time thinking, how were Cork losing after that first half when they had more to possession, they had more scoring chances, but they just didn't take them. Um, but there was there was hope and encouragement in that first 15 minutes, the way Cork attacked Kildare and the way they created scoring opportunities and the way they moved the ball. But as soon as Kildare put that block, block in front of them, Cork could just not get through. And that's a worry, Jack, because it's not the first time the Cork footballers have struggled, struggled to break down a packed defence. We've seen it time and time again. They just don't seem to know what to do. Um, they were being funneled down the left and the right, but they just weren't creating the scoring opportunities. And like Here, said, on, on, that, on that point, it's something that we touched on after last year's Munster final. And I know it's something that our new star sport columnist, Holly O'Sullivan, touched on briefly in either his first or second column. But it's that idea that Cork don't necessarily seem to have a plan B. So when plan A doesn't work out for them, there is no variety. And that seems to have been a problem in Thurles at the weekend as well. Yeah, like I said, it was an old problem that reared its head. I will give this Cork team leeway, though, because it is obviously the first game of the league um, they were after a very, very short pre-season, even though we won't mention the Yard Beach incident back in January, we'll just take it that the, the footballers have only been training the last couple of weeks. So it's their first game. They're going to be rusty. They're going to need a couple of a couple of games, I suppose, to get up to speed. But they have to get up to speed very, very fast. Um, in their defence as well, they were missing a number of players from last year's Munster final team. Killian O'Hannon is out for the year with an ACL. Mark Collins wasn't there. Luke Connolly wasn't there. There was no Kevin O'Donovan. There was no Michael Hurley. There was no Damien Gore. Um, Liam O'Donovan from Clannock Kilty is only coming back from, from an ACL. So Carker down six, seven possible starters from, from last year's team. So it's not a full strength team. And I think what we saw the last day too was that the strength and depth really isn't there just yet. A lot of the under-20 team from uh, 2019 are starting to come through. Now we saw Blake Murphy come on the last day as well. Sean Meehan is settling down inside there. But you're asking an awful lot of those fellas to step up to senior to county level so fast. It's a Cahno Mahoney finished with six points and he got five points from freeze. And he, he's a class act in Mitchellstown man. But he needs time. He needs seasons to find his feet at, at senior and the county level. And the same goes for Daniel O'Donin from, from Kilimartra. He's brought into the squad this year and he came on in the second half. A really, really good club, club footballer in Cork. But again, he needs time to find his feet. But the problem is... With the condensed nature of this year's National League, Cork don't have that breathing space or time to to to, to make mistakes and not get punished because they're travelling to leash this Saturday night. And if they lose that, Jack, they're more than likely in a relegation dogfight already to survive in Division 2. Yeah, well, um, poor start to the league campaign for Cork then. We'll obviously have full coverage from the game in Thursday Southern Star we'll have reaction I'm sure Holly O'Sullivan is going to touch on it in his column and of course we'll be looking ahead to Saturday evening's game with Leash but we're going to take a quick break now and coming up after that Kieran's going to be speaking to Aoife Casey and Emily Hegarty Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast number one for sport in West Cork the remarkable story of Skibbereen Rowan Club continues to amaze. On Sunday in Lucerne, two more members of the club, Emily Hegarty and Aoife Casey, booked their tickets to Tokyo, bringing the number of Olympic-bound athletes from the club to five. More than some countries 
will probably have at the games. Kieran, we know all about Gary and Paul O'Donovan at this stage, and Fintan McCarthy is beginning to become more familiar to us. But tell us about Emily and Aoife and what this latest achievement means for the club. Oh, it's incredible that this Rowan club in Skibreen in West Cork is, like we said to countless times, Jack, it's a conveyor belt for elite, world-class athletes and Aoife Casey and Emily Higarty are the are the two latest to come off that conveyor belt and become Olympians. And as you'll hear from the check coming up with them, they're actually already guaranteed to be Olympians this year because they were in the boats that qualified at the final Olympic qualification regatta in Lucerne. That means that they go forward to the Tokyo Games. So Eva Casey and Emily Hegarty are joining a very exclusive club there by becoming Skibreen Olympians. And their places are confirmed even before Paula Donovan and Fintan McCarthy's are confirmed in the lightweight double. So it's just great news for, for Aoife and Emily. And, and Emily. Aoife Casey is the daughter of Dominic Casey, the world-renowned coach who was behind the success of the Irish lightweights over the last couple of years. He was coach when Gary and Paul won that Olympic silver in Rio back in 2016. And he's overseen a remarkable rise in Irish lightweight rowing, a golden era for lightweight rowing. And Aoife now is... Under she she um she was coached by her dad at Skibbing Rowing Club and she's coached by her dad at at um, international level, but she's she's a class act as well. Um, herself and Margaret Clement from Rochestown, a very young crew, twenty two and twenty one. Um, they've came out of nowhere really to be quite honest about this. We Claire Lamb in the podcast uh, a couple of weeks back after the Europeans and. The general thought was that the the Irish lightweight double was an outside chance of qualifying for the games, but. Aoife and Margaret Crimmon just showed their class over the weekend in Lucerne. Very impressive in their heat. Then in their semi-final on Sunday morning, they finished second. And then going into the final, which was also on Sunday morning, it was the top three crews to go through. And they took that third spot on offer. So it's a brilliant story to see Aoife Casey qualify for the Games. And then with Emily Hegarty, she's another lady from, from Affadown, that parish of Roars. Um, she's had success too over the last couple of years at under-23 world level. At the recent European Championships, that women's four won a silver medal. So they were high in confidence going into the qualification regatta and they were favourites to book one of the two spots. But like you know, Jack, in sport, there's nothing, nothing is certain, especially in rowing, anything can happen on the day. But they were impressive in their in their heat and they won the final as well. So they've powered through to the Tokyo Olympics. And Africa Kyo, one of the crew members, was saying in an interview afterwards that they are looking to win a medal now going over to Tokyo. So... Very exciting times for, for Aoife and Emily. And we're delighted to catch up with them in the podcast because, as you can imagine, they've had a hectic couple of days. They were in Lucerne qualifying for the Olympics on, on Sunday, coming off the back of a long training camp in Varese in Italy, coming off the back of the Europeans before that. So before Tuesday, they hadn't been home in West Cork or Cork in six weeks. So thanks to both of them for making themselves available because their feet had barely touched Cork side on Tuesday before they were on the podcast with us. And as you'd hear from the now, Jack, they're in great form. Delighted now to be joined on the Star Sport podcast by two local sportswomen who have qualified their boats for the Olympic Games. Um, a brilliant day last Sunday at Lucerne in the final Olympic qualification regatta. So we're thrilled and delighted to have Eva Casey and Emily Hegarty joining us on the podcast. Congratulations and welcome. Thanks. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Thanks for having us. 
So first, you're back on Cork soil. It's been a hectic couple of weeks for you, first with the European Championships in Varese. Then you had a long training camp in Italy, then on to Lucerne for that final Olympic qualification regatta. But as we're talking now on Tuesday afternoon, your feet are back in Cork soil. So what's it like to be home having qualified for the Olympics? Um, I guess it's almost like a bit surreal, to be honest, like the past, especially with like how the weekend panned out, everything was brought forward. All the races were kind of jammed into two days and just kind of we had like one day to kind of take a breather. But then it's just been go. We were up at four o'clock this morning getting the bus to the airport. So I guess like it hasn't quite hit home because it's all just gone so fast. Like and as well, it doesn't feel like it was even that long ago when we left for Europeans. But like a lot has happened since then, to be fair. So it's exciting. Let's go back to Sunday. So, Emily, and that uh, an incredible performance again by the Irish women's four that you're part of. Um, you were in great form, I suppose, coming into this regatta because you'd won a superb silver at the European Rowan Championship. So you were already tipped as uh, one of the favourites to take one of those two qualification spots that were an offer. But did that bring an added pressure in because you are being talked up so much? To be honest, yeah, I thought about this. It was- it wasn't until after the racing I like kind of thought about that we were kind of the favourites going in. But I think it was almost, I think personally, I kind of got an element of confidence off it that like people outside our team were still backing us and, you know, kind of like people from other countries, you know, they knew we were going to be hard to beat. And I almost kind of took that as almost a confidence booster that like, well, if they believe it, like it's easier for ourselves to believe as well that just perform our best. And we know like we're already... We were already at a good speed already. So. If, if there was pressure on you, you definitely didn't show it because you were superb <laughs> in the heat on Friday and then, oh, sorry, on, on Saturday and then the final on Sunday, dominant again. But how much how much um, confidence did you take off the performance in the heat? Because it was a pretty impressive performance, like I said. Um, I think our main focus for the whole camp, because at Europeans, that's where we give people an advantage, always off the start. We were always a bit slow to get up to speed. So I think like past like three or four weeks in Varese was really like focused on get the boat moving and then kind of because we know once we're at a race rhythm that our race rhythm's near like very fast. So it was just kind of a case of fine-tuning the beginning and the end of the race. Um so yeah, I think we were kind of after the heat, we didn't think we had a brilliant race, like well, we don't think we rode our best, but we still like were leading off the blocks. And I think that was a good thing, even though like we didn't have our best day that day, that like we still had good speed. You mentioned earlier to Emily, because of the weather forecast in Lucerne for, for Monday, World Rowing brought forward all those finals to the Sunday. So all of a sudden, it was a very condensed couple of days of action. So when did you hear about that first, that those finals would be Sunday? And how did that affect preparations then? With us, I kind of had a feeling, we the week before we were in Italy at dinner one day, we checked the weather for Lucerne following weekend. And we were all kind of, Monday's not looking great. But it was a case of like, oh, don't worry, like it will change, sure changes every day. But it was then when we were going out to do our heat, our coach Seppi was like, no matter what the result, do a really, really, really good cool down. And it was then just before we started the cool down, he was on the bank. He was like, yeah, the reps are this evening. So thank God, because if we hadn't made it through, we were racing again in two hours. And I think he was just very conscious. He didn't want to tell us that beforehand, like to give us pressure, but I kind of had a feeling that something was happening all right. He just had such an emphasis on the cool down, no matter what the results, just cool down really well, just in case. I suppose it is a sign of a very good crew that you didn't let that, I suppose that, that late change to the to the timetable affect you because you were, like I said earlier, you were dominant in, in Sunday's final. 
Um, you got the fast start that you wanted. You led the whole way through. Was there any point during the race, assembly coming towards the end where you were thinking, oh, God, we have it. We're going to get to Tokyo. I think it was kind of like 700 metres to go. Like, they, China and Italy were on either side, either lane beside us, and we could see them behind us. It was more so a case of, like, hold it together for just another, not even less than three minutes. Just don't mess up almost. And, yeah, then once the line, once you cross the line, it was just relief that we pulled it off. And what is that moment like? Because we've seen the pictures where you were celebrating and you were embracing, you were hugging, and it's the realisation of a dream. But to know that you've qualified that Irish Women's Four for the Tokyo Olympics, what is that like? I think for us, we felt like very strongly about qualifying it because we fell short two years ago at the World Championships. It was actually ourselves and China were the next two spots outside of the qualifying. So I think it was just a case of like unfinished business and just we were just so happy to finally get the opportunity to get the job done and get the goal qualified. If there was an expectation that the Irish Women's Four were going to qualify, I think, Aoife, that the Irish Women's Lightweight Double, it was the, the, the brilliant surprise of the weekend because you were mm-hmm. underdogs heading into the, the qualification regatta in, in Lucerne. It was a loaded field, I think 18 crews, and you were coming off the back of an impressive fifth-place finish at the Europeans. How did yourself and Margaret Crimmon feel heading into the qualification, qualification regatta? Were you high in confidence? Were you in good spirits coming off the back of the Europeans and the, and the Camp in Varese? Um, definitely, yeah. Like um, from our performance in Europeans, we definitely gained a lot of confidence. Um, as that was our I suppose, first regatta after a good solid winter's rock of training, and then having come to this place, so we were able to say, okay, we did this well, we did that well, and we need to improve on this and that. So like we kind of broke it down then into the um four weeks of camp that we had afterwards that we just made sure that we got the best out of ourselves in each session. So like it wasn't it wasn't it was it was a big surprise for us as well because. Because like we knew we we knew we could do it, but it was more so just like believing in the process and just trusting that each session we gave our best and improved as much as we could, and then just kind of like going going through the motions like that. And then it was a real um, a real homogener at the crossing the line um, yesterday. Like I said, it was an incredible story because you finished fifth at the Europeans a week. Claire Lamb on the podcast in just after that, and she was talking, and it was a, a view shared by by many. I I feel that. Maybe for the Irish lightweight women, it's Paris 2024. It's only three years away. There was such a young group with Aoife, Margaret Crimmon and Lydia Heafy. So maybe Paris is 2024. But in, in the space of a couple of weeks, yourself and Megs have qualified the boat for, for the Olympics. And it's it's an incredible achievement. So do you feel that you're almost ahead of schedule in some way? Um, I'm not I'm not too sure, to be honest. Like, I think we've worked really hard. Not just not just me and Mags, but... All the live women, Tina, Nolan, and Lily Hufi, and like we're all, we've all, it's been a really good team atmosphere and a good work, work ethic and drive the past two years. Um, since not qualifying in 2019, that like we, we chose to really believe in ourselves. And even when there was doubts over whether it, w- it could happen or would happen or the speed of the boat, that like we just kept believing in ourselves and that just, I suppose, trusting the process that as, as long as we did our best, that's all we could do. So like there wasn't, like going into the final, um, there wasn't any, like we didn't feel any pressure on ourselves. All we wanted to do was do our best. And then if it worked, it worked. And if it didn't, didn't. So like, I'm glad that it did. <laughs> Definitely. And how much confidence did you take off the fifth place at the Europeans? Because that showed that you could hold your own with the best crews in Europe and you showed you are at that very top elite level. So was that a real confidence booster heading into that training camp and then Lucerne? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think we were we were happy with, with our performance, but at the same time, we weren't satisfied. So we knew that 
we had we had technical points to improve on we could definitely get fitter and faster and stronger in the gym things like that so it was just kind of like getting up ticking all those boxes and making sure that we were we did the best preparation possible and I felt like we really did that before this regatta now and in the lead up to it we just we enjoyed we enjoyed every session we had in this room beforehand and although it was a bit of a a whirlwind in the sense that we had two we did our semi-final and the final on the same day so that was a bit <laughs> stressful and tiring to say the least but um I think we managed it really well and that like we we took everything in our stride and just you know we made the best out of each situation so I think that's that's how we got here physically and mentally how demanding was last Sunday morning like you said there if uh, you raced both the semi-final and the final in a matter of a couple of hours and I'm looking there at the semi-final you finished second just behind the USA and you were ahead of China Denmark Greece and Brazil so obviously you came off the water delighted to get through to the final and know you've been shot at getting to the Olympics but then it's such a short turnaround so how do you deal with those couple of hours to almost ground yourself again and get ready for the biggest race of your life so far? Yeah, I think it was definitely a challenge. I think just making sure that we had enough cool down done after the semi-final, but also you needed enough recovery and just rest before the final again to get going again. But I think our training really prepped, prepped and primed us really well for that kind of intense racing because I suppose we do trials um, at the National Rural Centre every every month and, you know, they're really intense and there'd be two, two races every day for I don't know how many days so that we're really, we really took in our stride and said, that this is our chance to really show that we are able to do it um, and do our best. And I think that's what we did. And then the, the final itself, there was three spots up for grabs. You were, you were fifth for a period there, but you fought your way up through the field. What are your own memories and recollections from the race? Oh, not much, to be honest. We were talking about it afterwards and we neither of us really remembered very well. It was more so just, I think, like once you have the first 20 strokes done out of the race, like there's no... There's no nerves, there's no fear. All you can do is believe in yourself each stroke and just try and get the next one better than the previous. So like, and that's what we really did. Each 500, we tried to get a bit faster um, at the K, make, make a really big push. And then just once you're in the last 500 meters, that's less than two minutes. You just really have to go for home. And I think that's what we did, really just believe in ourselves and pulled the hardest strokes we ever did in our lives. I'd say to cross that line, but it worked out. So really delighted, really. Over the years and talking to various rowers, um, your dad, Dominic Casey, who's also your coach, he's a, he's a great man for words of wisdom just before rowers take to the water. So what did Dominic say to yourself and Megs before the, the final on Sunday morning? Oh, I don't know, can I even remember now, but <laughs> um, it was definitely just, I can keep it simple, that we didn't need to overcomplicate it and like all we needed to do was our best. I think that's what, that was our main focus, that like we didn't have, that he didn't put any pressure on us. It was more so just, all we can do is our best and like we are able to do our best so like that's what we did so yeah and knowing if I suppose all the years you've put into rowing those countless training sessions those early mornings heading up to the national rowing center everything you've put into this sport to know that you've qualified that boat for, for the olympics what was what was that feeling like on sunday and even now a couple of days later yeah surreal honest to god really um just disbelief almost crossing that line like I, I burst into tears with the just the relief of I saw all the hard work not just that I put in but just everyone around me my family my friends all the all the athletes that train at the rowing center just having to cry like being able to cross that finish line in a qualifying position just like the relief that hopefully I've made them proud and that like all the hard work has paid off that um once they're closer to Tokyo now and just to do our best there start anew have a new goal and go for it 
Emily, you'll be delighted to hear that I dug out a photo of you from 2016. It was a photo that Dominic Casey Marsh Media took around the time of the Olympic Games and you were down at the clubhouse. And it's a great picture because Aoife's in it, Emily's in it, Fint and Jake, um, Mark and Shane. And that's five years ago. And you were watching the Olympics, obviously, as Gibbering Roars and as you're in the Irish system, but as fans too. So to think that five years on, Emily, that you're heading to the Games and we'd be watching you on TV kind of, what does that feel like? Like, it doesn't feel real yet, to be honest. But I guess one thing to take from that as well is that we had the extra year, the Olympics was postponed. And to be honest, I think that made the majority of the crews that are put together now. Like, I know other countries like like may not have had the same good system going because they have all their votes qualified, their votes to be secure. They probably approach their lockdown training differently. Whereas the majority, like, our, our, like the four on the double we had in our spaces like we had we knew we had couldn't afford to take our foot off the gas so it's just yeah it's crazy to think like what has happened in five years even just it's mad because we were still junior at that stage so and we were going off to race at junior worlds kind of yeah. and had no ex <laughs> no expectations like to now like be performing at senior level it's just surreal to be honest and to kind of borrow a Conor McGregor phrase, you're not going to talk, you're just to take part. Irish Rovers are going to take over because I saw a lovely mm -hmm. interview with, with, with Afri Kyo and she said that the Irish Women's Four, you want, you want a medal at the Olympics, kind of, you, you feel you're good enough to do that. Is that the target now, kind of, you've booked your place at the, at the Games, now you want to go over there and hopefully touch wood, get into that medal race and try, try and bring home a medal? Well, I guess for us, like, we know we've come so close to, like, let's say we're a world medalist and triple European champions, you know, and we know we've gotten faster since then. Um, so I think it's kind of, you know, for us, it's a good motivator to have in our minds. We want a medal. Like, we still have 68 or 67 days of training left until the games begin. And it's just, I think it's a mindset to make the most out of those and to just behave as if we will win a medal. So it's weird saying those guys. But, you know, at this stage, there is nothing to lose. So I think, why why wouldn't we expect anything else at this stage? And what's the plan now, Aoife? Like you said, you're you're back home on Irish soil, on Cork soil. I suppose at the moment, it's the boats that have qualified, so we don't have the final crew selection for the Games, and that won't be for another couple of weeks or months, I presume. But I suppose the feeling is that the people in the boat at the moment are the people in the in the driving seat to, to go to Tokyo. So... Is it forced? Is it just to try and secure your place in the boat and take it from there? Or what is the plan over the next couple of weeks? So because it's uh, because we qualified with the last minute qualification, the crews that have entered that were entered that regatta are automatically like they those those the people that have to be in the boat in Tokyo. So like we are like our two boats are the only two officially selected with the athletes. So like we've we we made this far, but um, definitely the sky's the limit when it comes to training and just getting every small thing right for the next few weeks and seeing how fast we can really go in 67, 68 days time. <laughs> oh, that, that's brilliant news. So you already know that you're guaranteed your seats in the, in the Olympics. Oh, that's, that's doubly exciting, isn't it? Just to know yeah. that, that are already this far out that you know that you're going. So what's going to be like heading back into training this week? Oh, I'd say a few days off. <laughs> Chillax. Yeah, um, a breather definitely before we get start the new phase, but exciting. I think. I think as well, though, it's exciting that it's certain now. Mm -hmm. Like we've spent the past two years potentially training for no Olympic Games at the end of it. So I think it's just a new motivating factor that we're definitely going on the plane and we're definitely going to be racing. So I think that almost brings like another element of excitement into it that like that is certain and it's something like 
we're actually working towards now rather than hoping will fall into place, you know. And the mood in the Rhone Ireland camp at the moment must be incredible. That's six boats that are qualified for the Games. It's a record for, for Irish rowing. So I can only presume that the National Rowing Centre, when you get back in there this week, it's going to be a pretty exciting place to be. Yeah, definitely. The, now there's more racing happening this weekend at the World Cup too. So when everyone, we'll see how everyone gets on there. And I say once we're all back training together, it'll be a great team atmosphere and everyone will be driving each other on um, for the next few weeks. A quick word on Dominic Tuifa. How excited was he after? He must have been as, as proud as anything to see you qualify for the Games. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now it was, I think we were all, all, a, bit, all a bit shocked and de- delighted, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's hard to put into words, really. So the, the Casey household is going to be pretty busy in, in the weeks and months ahead. There'll be a mass exodus for Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, it's great stuff. And thank you so much for joining us again. Congratulations to both of you. Um, you're joining an illustrious list of Skibreen Olympians, thinking back to the likes of, <laughs> of Eugene Coakley, Richie Coakley, Timmy Harnley, obviously Gary and Paul, and you're adding your name to a very exclusive club. So congrats to the two of you. And before I let you go, just that support that you get from home, from Skibreen, from your friends and neighbours, how important is that to you? Definitely, without a doubt. Um, I feel like, I'm so, so grateful for the constant support that's that's always there. You know, like all you have to do is look in your messages and there'll be, so, there'll be a text from someone from Skib and just the, just the constant support and advice from everyone at the rowing club, everyone in the parish, Father Cal, wishing everyone well and giving us the three Hail Marys at the end of Mass. Like we really, really appreciate everything that, um, all the good wishes and the thoughts that we've had over the past few months and weeks. Um, it really yeah. goes home. Oh, brilliant. Like I said, we're all so proud of you. You've put Skibbering Rowan Club in West Cork back on the map again. So con- con- congratulations and enjoy the next couple of weeks. Lovely. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And before we wrap things up, we're going to quickly preview this week's Star Sport section and Kieran, you're back in situ as our sports editor this week, so it's unlikely to live up to the heights of last week's edition when we had a guest sports editor. But go on, tell us, what can readers expect this week? I was barely left back in the door this week, Jack, after last week's edition was such a was such a showstopper. So I'm going to do my best to try and follow it up, but the sequel is never as good as the original, but I'll still, I'll still do my best. So there's plenty going on um, in this Thursday Southern Star Sports section like we said there, the inter-county, um, inter-county action is up and running. So we've reported reaction from the Cork footballers' defeat Kildare in Turles. The Cork ladies kick off their National Football League campaign on Friday live in front of the TG Cahar cameras when they take on tip. And we've an interview with Martin O'Brien, the new Cork captain. And we also have the news of a two-time All-Star footballer from West Cork who is back in with the Cork ladies footballers this year. So check out the star for that. Also, the Cork Senior Camogie team got their league off to a winning start last weekend. And we have a match report and reaction from Linda Collins and Fiona Keating, two Corsi Rovers players. The Cork Hurlers had a good draw against Tipperary. Maybe a game that they, they could have won before Tip got a, got a late equaliser. So we have, again, reaction and report from that. And as well as that, Conor Horan has the second leg of the Championship Playoff semi-final against Barnsley this Saturday. On Monday night... 
Swansea beat Barnsley 1 0 away. So Connor and Swansea looking a good place to qualify for the playoffs. And I have a, a piece about Connor in this week's star. Just talking about his record in playoffs because if he gets through to the playoff final, this will be the fourth time that Connor Horan will contest a playoff final. Twice before he's won, first with a, as captain of Barnsley back in 2016 when they won the League One playoff and then with Aston Villa when they won the championship playoff in 2019. So it's familiar territory for Conor Horan. So for any team who wants to get promoted from a playoff final, you need Conor Horan in your ranks. So that's a piece to look out for in Thursday's Southern Star. Another soccer piece is Joe McCarthy's caught up with Katie Kinnefick. She's the new West Cork League PRO and she's hoping to do big things with the, with the West Cork League in terms of her vision for women's soccer. So that's well worth reading. We also have Joe McCarthy's off-center circle column this week is looking at the, this was the, the saga you'd call it around the ladies football decision not to go with underage All-Ireland Championship finals this year. So Joe is looking a bit more in depth with that. In terms of motorsport, Martin Walsh, again, is not going to out of the park. He's a really interesting interview with a Kilini teenager, Jeff Quilter, who is, um, making a big name for himself in the Irish Mini Bike Championship. So um, plenty going on in this Thursday Southern Star. So not to be missed again, Jack. Absolutely. Sounds like a cracker as always. And if you can't make it to the shops across West Cork to pick up a copy, don't forget you can subscribe online and read the Southern Star for less than two euro per week on your computer, tablet or smartphone. I never tire of saying it, but what great value. That's all we have time for on this week's Star Sport Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back at the same time next week. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Slán Tomlum.